0: There ain't no grave can hold my body down Well, look down yonder, Gabriel Put your feet on the land and sea But, Gabriel, don't you blow your trumpet Till you hear from me There ain't no grave can hold my body down Ain't no grave can hold my body down
1: This is Our American Stories, and you're listening to one of the finest recordings in Johnny Cash's life. So many of them occurred near the end of his life with Rick Rubin. And we're going to be talking about Johnny Cash's life here, because on this day in history, in 2003, Johnny Cash, he died. And as always, our This Day in History is brought to us by the great folks at Hillsdale College. And go to hillsdale.edu to learn more. When you tell a story... You always have to start at the beginning. Johnny Cash was born in Kingsland, Arkansas, the son of poor Southern Baptist sharecroppers. Cash was one of seven children born to Ray and Carrie Rivers Cash. They moved with his family at the age of three to Dicey's, Arkansas, so that his father could take advantage of the New Deal farming programs instituted by President Roosevelt. There, the Cash clan lived in a five-room house and farmed 20 acres of cotton and other seasonal crops. We went into the vault to dig out some clips, and here's Johnny talking about his childhood in Arkansas in those cotton fields, about the house that he was born in.
0: February 26, 1932, in a little house surrounded by cotton fields. My father was a cotton farmer walk behind the mules with the plow, and I did that as well. It was a family thing. Everybody in the family worked in the fields. Even the girls did. There's some sweet memories and some sad memories too, but, but it was a good life.
1: But it was a good life. It was a hard life. But the hardest thing that happened, uh, Johnny was losing his older brother and a star older brother, one he really looked up to. Here's Johnny's son, John Carter Cash, talking about his dad and his dad's brother.
2: If it hadn't been for losing Jack, there's no telling if he ever would have gone on to sing the songs that he sang with such heartache, you know, um, related to so many people, you know, his his suffering so easily because it was on his sleeve. He had a great understanding and closer spiritual relationship with God because he came in and studied in Jack's stead and though he continued to sing and followed his heart's desire um, in music he still delved even deeper into studying the Bible my father did in life because I believe that he had that desire to be who he believed Jack would have been
1: and he believed Jack would have been a pastor and a man of the cloth. Here's John Carter Cash, again, Johnny's son, talking about his dad's love of gospel music. This is the first music he ever fell in love with. You're also going to hear in this clip from Marshall Grant from the Tennessee Two, who was in the room that fateful day, Cash auditioned in Memphis for Sam Phillips.
2: My father's greatest desire when he got into the music business, he wanted to sing gospel songs on the radio. And I think, you know, I, I think it was only later on that he realized that, that you know, he, he might be actually making records in the studio and that they'd be recorded. He just wanted to sing on the radio.
3: When we went to audition for Sam Phillips, it was still gospel music that we wanted to do. And we auditioned for Sam Phillips at Sun Records with a song called I Was There When It Happened. So I guess I ought to know
4: Well, I was there when it happened, and so I guess I ought to know.
1: And if you remember in that scene from Walk the Line, Joaquin Phoenix walks into that studio. He sings that song. Sam Phillips is just shaking his head. He doesn't buy what Johnny's selling. And, well, here's the exchange in that movie.
5: We come down here, we play for a minute, and he tells me I don't believe
6: in God. You know know exactly what I'm telling you. We've already heard... That song, a hundred times, just like that, just like how you sang it.
5: Well, he didn't let us bring it home. Bring
6: bring it home? All right, let's bring it home. If he was hit by a truck and you were lying out in that gutter dying and you had time to sing one song, huh? one song people would remember before your dirt, one song that would let God know what you felt about your time here on earth. One song that would sum you up, you telling me that's the song you'd sing. That same Jimmy Davis tune we hear on the radio all day about your peace within and how it's real and how you're going to shout it. Or would you sing something
1: different? And my goodness, he started to sing something different. What's left out of Walk the Line, and we'll get into in subsequent segments in this hour, is that he did keep on singing gospel. But ultimately, this, not soon thereafter, not long after this exchange, was Johnny Cash's first number one song. And the number one billboard hit for him on the country charts. And here it is.
4: I keep a close watch on this heart of mine. I keep my eyes wide open all the time I keep the ends out for the tie that binds Because you're mine, I walk the line
7: Mm -hmm.
4: I find it very, very easy to be true I find myself alone when each day's through. Yes, I'll admit that I'm a fool for you. Because you're mine, I walk the line. And those lyrics aren't
1: exactly shake, rattle, and roll, folks. I keep a close watch on this heart of mine. I keep my eyes wide open all the time. I keep the ends out for the tie that binds. Because you're mine, I walk the line. It's a song about marital fidelity. At the era in which rock and roll was unleashing sexual passions and stirring sexual passion, Johnny Cash was not any old rock and roller. And by the way, his struggles with sin, he'd write about them honestly, always as a Christian. And that's what was so beautiful about Cash. When we come back, celebrating in a way honoring the life of Johnny Cash, who died on this day in history in 2003
4: you got a way to keep me on your side You give me cause for love that I can't hide For you I know I'd even try to turn the tide Because you're mine, I walk the line
0: And I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder One of the four beasts saying come and see, and I saw, and behold, a white horse.
1: This is Lee Habib, and this is Our American Stories, the life of Johnny Cash, being celebrated on this day in history.
0: There's a man going around taking names, and he decides who to free and who to blame. Everybody won't be treated all the same. There'll be a golden letter reaching down When the man
1: comes around And that man, of course, to Johnny Cash was... Well, we know who that man is. And Walk the Line did not get into this. And it was a great movie. But it stripped the animating force of Cash's life. And that was God. And that was Jesus Christ. And Johnny wrote about his sin. We learned that about Scalia, his sin. We, you know, Christians have to talk about their sin, or they're not—they're not being honest. And this, if anything, Johnny Cash was, and I think that's the appeal. And this movie just focused on his love of June, but not on his love of Christ. And let me tell you, Johnny did—he recorded the entire King James version of the New Testament. Did you know that? He performed countless Billy Graham revivals, made a movie about the life of Jesus, and studied the Bible so much, he almost had a, well, I think he knew more about it than most Divinity School PhDs. Somehow none of that made it to the screen. Let's take a listen to Johnny's reading of Matthew 7.
0: Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall.
1: None of it in the movie Walk the Line. Leaving out Cash's Christian faith, from his life story, would be like leaving out half-naked women from you Hefners, or like telling the story of Jackie Robinson without ever mentioning race or segregation. You know, Cash was interviewed quite a number of times about his drug addiction. He spoke openly about his bouts with it and his selfishness. In one interview with Songwriter magazine, he said this, You don't think about anyone else. When you're on drugs, you think about yourself and where your next stash is coming from or your next drink. I wanted and wasted so much. I mean, we're not talking days I wasted. We're talking years, maybe decades. What a confession. Believers and non-believers alike know about such struggles. That's what attracted so many people to Cash's music, his humility, his empathy. Here's a story that should have been in the the movie. It's out of his book, out of the book, and I think if you can read one book about Johnny Cash, it's called A Man Called Cash by Steve Turner. The book was supposed to be based on this, the, the movie was supposed to be based on this book, but my goodness, all the good stuff's not in the movie. Turns out Cash in the 1990s wanted to kill himself, and so he decided to go to Chattanooga, not far from his home, to a place called the Nickajack Caves where he spent a lot of time And he had spent time there early in his life hunting for treasures such as Indian arrowheads and items left behind by Confederate soldiers. But on this occasion, again, he was looking to end his life. This is what he told writer Nick Toshis in 1995. And again, what a scene this would have made in the movie. Cash saying, I just felt like I was at the end of the line. I was down there by myself and I got to feeling that I took so many pills that I'd done it. That I was going to blow up or something. I hadn't eaten in days, I hadn't slept in days, and my mind wasn't working too good anyway. I couldn't stand myself anymore. I wanted to get away from me. And if that meant dying, then okay. I took a flashlight with me into those caves, and I said to myself, I'm going to walk and crawl and climb into that cave until the light goes out, and then I'm just going to lie down. And so I crawled in there with that flashlight, until it burned out and I laid down to die. I was a mile in that cave, at least a mile. And by the way, this cave is filled with over a 100,000 bats. But I felt this great comforting presence come over me. And it was saying, No, you're not dying. I got things for you to do. And so I got up, found my way out. Cliffs, ledges, drop-offs. I don't know how I got out. Except... God got me out. Not in the movie. How does that happen? How does that happen? Oh, I think we know how that happens. His love for June is all over that movie, but not his love for Christ. And he loved June because of her almost perfect love for Christ. He said it over and over again. Here's another story that wasn't in the movie. This may be my favorite. In August of 1969, hundreds of thousands of young Americans gathered in Woodstock, to catch this concert that at the time no one knew would be Woodstock. I mean, it turned out to be one of the great concerts of all time. Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young, Creedence, Clearwater, Janis Joplin, Jimi Hendrix, you name them, they were there. Sly and the Family Stone, it was everybody. Chris Christopherson had wanted his buddy Johnny Cash to go. Johnny had a show at this time on CBS. And he generally loved to introduce all kinds of new musical acts. We'll get into that in the next segment. His first time ever. His two musical guests were two kids named Bob Dylan and Joni Mitchell. So he loved musicians and he loved celebrating them. But on this particular night, and by the way, that was ABC, not CBS, but on this particular night, he decided to close out his show with one of his favorite gospel songs. And let's take a listen.
0: Were you there when they crucified my Lord? My Lord,
7: sometimes it causes me to tremble.
1: Perhaps his most famous recordings were ones he made in prisons, especially his two shows at Folsom Prison. Cash seemed at home there. He didn't see himself as better than those men. He was just one of the guys. He understood the prisoners in ways they realized without him ever saying anything. It didn't hurt that he'd written some of his best songs from the point of view of condemned and convicted men. Again, a sinner. He related. The inmates loved him for that. Actually, America loved him for that.
0: When I was just a baby, my mama told me, son, always be a good boy. Don't ever play with guns. But I shot a man in Reno just to watch him die. When I hear that whistle blowing, I hang my head.
1: Bono once said of Cash, he doesn't sing for the damned, he sings with the damned. And that was the true mark of Cash's Christian faith. The empathy he had for men and women often overlooked in our society. When Cash got serious about his faith and left the women and alcohol behind, some of his old friends were not very happy with him. Quote, they'd rather I be in prison than church, Cash admitted. Waylon Jennings was especially tough on Cash, according to Turner, accusing him of selling out to religion. He'd be attacked by agnostics and atheists if he appeared too pious, explained Stephen Turner, his biographer, and he would be denounced by the religious community if he appeared too worldly. Talk about a tough line Cash had to walk. And that's the thing about Johnny Cash. He dared to smash musical categories. He even transcended them. And that's, I think, because he shared himself with the world, the better parts and the worst parts, and especially the worst parts. He wasn't afraid to write about his sin. We've talked about it before, and it's what drew us close to him, his honesty, his authenticity. Johnny Cash, who died on this day in history in 2003, his story continues here on Our American Story. Well, I won't back down
0: No, I won't back down. You can stand me up at the gates of hell, but I won't back down. Gonna stand my ground, won't be turned. Time my daddy left to fight the big war. Saw my first pistol in the general store. In the general store when I was thirteen, thought it was the finest thing I ever had seen. I asked if I could have one when I grew up. Mama dropped a dozen eggs, and she really blew up. She really blew up, and I didn't understand. Mama said the pistol is the devil's right hand. She really blew
1: up And that's Johnny Cash covering the great Steve Earl song. He loved the younger writers. The younger writers loved him. In fact, perhaps Bob Dylan's best record, Nashville Skyline, my favorite. Uh, He does a recording of North Country Girl, his song, with one of his heroes, Johnny Cash. And here's what it sounded like. and that was Johnny, about as good as he sounded. There was a period of time in the 70s and 80s when he sounded like a Johnny Cash cover artist. I saw him at the Lone Star Cafe twice. Once it was very sad, and I didn't get it. And I walked out, and he was on something, and knew it sounded terrible. And then I saw him again in a more acoustic setting, and I'd never seen anything like it. And we're going to get to that in just a bit. Well, we wanted to talk about Johnny's talent as a storyteller. Cause boy was he a storyteller, and I don't think he does it better than in this song that we all know. And let's hear a bit of it.
0: I want you to, to if you don't mind, Carl. I'd like you to stay out and help us on some songs. Play the I'd guitar. love to. One of the greatest guitar players, as well as songwriters and singers in the business. Thank you. Appreciate a little help on the guitar. All right.
7: Love it. Thank you, Carl. <laughs>
0: Well, my daddy left home when I was three And he didn't leave much to maw and me Just this old guitar and an empty bottle of booze Now, I don't blame him cause he run and hid But the meanest thing that he ever did Was before he left, he went and named me Sue Well, he must have thought that it was quite a joke And it got a lot of laughs from lots of folks it Seems I had to fight my whole life through he was big and bent and gray and old. And I looked at him and my blood ran cold. And I said, my name is Sue. How do you do? How
7: you gonna die.
1: And it just goes on. In fact, stopping this song is really hard to do. But what a story. What a storyteller. In 1999, a bunch of artists got together in a star tribute to Johnny. And Bruce Springsteen. Who had actually inspired Johnny, and Johnny covered several of Bruce's songs, "Highway Patrolman," "State Trooper," from the Nebraska record. Bruce did an introduction before he performed a song. Let's take a listen to that intro.
8: Johnny, I want to send out a big thanks for the inspiration. Uh, he kind of took the uh, social consciousness from folk music and the, the gravity and humor from country music and the rebellion out of the rock and roll and. Uh, and taught all us young guys that not only was it all right to, to tear up all those lines and boundaries, but it was important. And uh, this was a song I loved from the early recordings
1: for a long time. It would be like it. And then Bruce covers it in a way, ultimately, just him and a guitar. They would bring Rick Rubin and Johnny Cash together to do just the same. Take a listen.
8: I found him by the railroad tracks this morning I could see he was nearly dead I knelt down beside him and I listened To the words dying fellow said He said they let me out of prison being free school Ten long years I paid for what I'd done I was trying to get back on losing losing Just to see my rose and get to my son Give my love to Rose, won't you Mister? He Hey, give her this money Tell them to buy some pretty clothes. Tell my boy's daddy is proud of him.
1: Don't forget to give my love to Rose. Tell my boy my daddy is proud of him. Something I think Johnny always wanted to hear from his own dad. Bring my love to Rose, one of my favorites, Bruce's favorite. And then a little bit later, Dave Matthews comes out with Emmy Lou Harris and take a listen.
8: Well, I spoke not a word
3: it meant my life but...
1: And as Bruce had said, that's what Johnny did. He broke down walls. And think about the artists who loved him and admired him that night. Everybody from Bruce Springsteen to Bono. An Irish rocker. An American rocker. Snoop Dogg. Trent Reznor. All of them openly admired this openly evangelical Southern man. And all because Johnny dared to smash stereotypes transcend musical categories and share himself with the world for better or for worse and I gotta say especially for worse and when we come back you're hearing Johnny See sing the I Trent Reznor song Hurt we're gonna talk about this I unique relationship between Cash and his producer Rick Rubin and it is special and you've never heard this before This is Lee Habib. This is Our American Stories. The needle
0: tears the hole. The
1: life of Johnny Cash, who died on this day in history in 2003.
0: Try to kill it all away. But I remember everything. What have I become? Oh Delia Delia all my life If I hadn't shot poor Delia I'd have had her for my wife Delia's gone One more
1: round Delia's gone This is Lee Habib and this is Our American Stories And that MTV video and that American recording song Delia's Gone Put Johnny Cash back on the map he bumped into a guy named Rick Rubin, who was a producer of the Beastie Boys and some heavy metal bands. But, well, he was drawn to this, this guy. Just drawn to him. And we're lucky enough, Jesse did some digging and found an interview between Rick Rubin and Johnny Cash. And what had happened to Cash was he'd sort of become a Well, let's sort of just say a cover act of himself. And he had lost touch and contact with that original artist, those original feelings back in that Sun studio. And between the drugs and some bad decision-making, I think he had lost himself as an artist. And it took this young Buddhist, because Rick Rubin was a Buddhist and is, to get him in touch with his, actually, I think his faith, his songwriting, the guitar, and that microphone, and nothing else. Let's take a listen. From the documentary on the production of the American Recordings of Johnny Cash, we hear this master producer, Rick Rubin, talking about how he realized that he wanted to work with his country legend.
9: Most of the artists that I had worked with at that time were all new bands and young artists. And I was thinking it'd be really fun to work with a substantial grown-up artist. And I started thinking about all of the great legendary artists and who may have been in a, in a place that, Maybe he either wasn't doing his best work or wasn't in a good situation. And Johnny was the first one to came came into my mind of really legendary status, important, uh, timeless artist.
1: Well, here's Johnny talking about his first recollection of meeting Rick Rubin backstage at one of his concerts and how they eventually started talking about recording together.
0: Rick Rubin called my manager, Lou Robin. ...and said he would like to talk to him about recording me. And Luz invited him to come to a concert. So he came to a concert a few miles south of Los Angeles. And I met him backstage. And we didn't really talk about me recording with him then. We talked about the record business and what I had been doing and what I hadn't been doing, mainly. But he said, I'd like to talk to you again. You know, it was getting late, so... He came to another concert, and we sat back backstage and talked and he said i 'd like to record you on american and I said, "What would you do with me that that uh, everybody else has tried to do you know and couldn't and he said, "Well, what would you like to do he said that 's what i 'll do and i you know I said, "Well, I would like to just take my guitar and sit down in front of a microphone and and sing until I found the songs that I wanted to record and then record them the way that, that I feel like they should be done. And, I, and he said, well, that's what I want. He said, I want to get the best out of you. Whatever you want to do, that's what I want to get on record.
1: How about that? What an idea. It can be that simple Time sometimes, folks. It can be that simple. Here, Johnny Cash and Rick Rubin talk about how they started recording in Rick's living room. What a smart move. Get out of that studio.
9: The first thing that we did in working together was kind of reframe the record-making experience from making just another album to, we're not done until this is the best album you've ever made in your life, and whatever that takes is what we're going to do. Okay. And um, it was, it's like, this is your first album. It sounded like a
0: dream come true for me because I had always wanted to uh, record this way. I'd always wanted to, I have 25 years ago, I had a conversation with Marty Robbins, I said, I always wanted to record an album called Johnny Cash, Late and Alone, and uh, I told Ruben this, this is what I really would like to do, and uh, he said, let's do it, so we sat down, and we, we made a deal, and I sat down in front of a microphone in his living room, and went through my list of 200 or more songs, and started singing them one after another. And we recorded them as I went along.
1: In this clip, Rick Rubin talks about how he wanted to show the real Johnny Cash. Johnny says it gave him a new enthusiasm, enthusiasm he never thought he would ever get to experience again.
9: I was really interested in getting to the heart of who he was and really exposing that and, and showing the world who he really was.
0: Back about 18 and 25 It's given me an opportunity Tennessee, to uh, express myself artistically that I never had before. I wrote a letter to my uncle. I've dug out every old, old song that I ever wanted to sing, and and I've sung The Tennessee stud was long and lean The color of the sun and his eyes were green It's given me an enthusiasm and a, and a new... Uh, uh, look at what, I, what my possibilities and capabilities are that I never thought I would get to experience.
1: Well, imagine that. A young man inspiring an older guy to get in touch with his original self. And maybe a self he never knew. Well, Cash says the reaction he got after a concert he did in the Viper Room in Los Angeles because ultimately Cash had to test these songs out and the Viper Room is a really famous small room in L.A. And Johnny gets up there with just the guitar and he starts singing these songs alone and he doesn't know what's going to happen. He has no idea what the reaction will be. He's probably scared out of his wits, which is good. And well, he plays the and audience. the audience went crazy. They wanted more because they were hearing this colossal talent. Really, almost for the first time, it sounded like. Here's Cash talking about the reaction he got in that room that night.
0: Well, the reaction was like the 50s all over again. It was like that kind of excitement. The 50s, you know, like. I I had freedom of choice in the studio. I did an album the way I wanted to. Exactly the way I wanted to. The way it felt good to me. Well, it felt good to my producer, and the reaction from the critics and the fans was beautiful. To be free.
1: Well, let's take listen take a listen to a couple of the cuts. Of course, the first, the most historic, his cover of Nine Inch Nails is in Trent Reznor's "Hurt."
0: The old familiar sting. Try to kill it all away.
1: And the lyrics just jump out at you. I hurt myself today to see if I just feel. I focus on the pain, the only thing that's real. Only an addict could have sung that song about addiction. Heroin, the drug of choice for Trent Reznor. Johnny Cash never did that, but it didn't matter. Here's Jesse's favorite, God's Gonna Cut You Down.
0: You can run on for a long time Run on for a long time Run on for a long time, a long time. Sooner or later gotta cut you down our have gotta cut you down. Go tell that long tongued liar, go and tell that midnight rider, tell the rambler, the gambler, the backbiter, tell him that God's gonna cut him down, tell him that God's gonna cut him down. And
1: circling all the way back to that original theme, I wanted to read something that Steven Turner closed out his book with, and then play the song. And here's how that book ended, A Man Called Cash. The realm that Johnny Cash lived in was clouded by pain and colored by grace. He had the ability to transform the rough and commonplace into objects fit for heaven, just as he had been transformed. Rick Rubin remembers him taking Ewan McCall's The First Time Ever I Saw Your Face and turning it from a love song into a devotional song. Quote, he loved that, said Rick Rubin. It came really natural to him. It seemed like his devotion for life came from his devotion for God. Again, an atheist talking about a Christian. This was not in the movie. Shame on the movie. Take a listen to Johnny.
3: The first time
0: Ever I saw your face? I thought the sun rose
1: in your eyes. This is Lee Habib, the life of Johnny Cash, who died on this day in history in two thousand three. And the moon and the stars
0: Were the gifts you gave To the dark And the endless sky My love And the first time, ever I kissed your mouth.
4: I didn't think too much about books and schooling, cause there were more important things to do. I just sit out in the yard and pick my old guitar, trying to do what the big hillbillies do. I would sit there by the hour, picking flower, wore my little fingers to the bone. Well, I said I'll never rest till I am the very best, the best guitar picker in this whole county.
1: This is Our American Stories. They called him Possum. We all know him as the great George I Jones. That's him we're listening to now with a song of his own called one Best Guitar Day Picker.
4: I work so very hard with that old guitar trying to do what the big hillbillies do.
1: I would George say Jones achieved international fame for his long list of hit records as well as his distinctive voice with a career spanning more than 50 years. Jones is regarded as one of country music's all-time greatest stars, as fellow country star Waylon Jennings once said, quote, if we could sound the way we wanted, we'd all sound like George Jones. With 13 number one country hits, three Grammys, and dozens of other awards, Jones tirelessly defended the integrity of country music, telling Billboard in 2006, quote, it's never been for love of money. I thank God for it because it makes me a living, but I sing because I love it, not because of the dollar signs. During his career, Jones had more than 150 hits, both as a solo artist and in duets with others. Born in Texas, Jones first heard country music when he was seven and was given a guitar at the age of nine. Like so many other famous musicians, George Jones began performing in the church.
3: I didn't realize that uh, you even got paid for it. Uh, You know, at at the beginning, uh, I, I started off singing in churches and things like that, and and I got to hearing, uh, you know, Roy Acuff and all of them on the Grand Ole Opry. And uh, I got my first guitar when I was about uh, nine or ten or something like that. And I fell in love with it. And I I took that guitar with me everywhere I went. It was a little had horses on it and ropes and Gene Archer's name, and, and it was Gene Archer guitar. And I I would take that to school. I mean, I'd hide it out in the little patch of woods and and pull leaves over it to hide it so nobody would come along and steal it.
1: Young George Jones was given his first guitar lesson by the preacher's wife. He would then go to entertain passengers on the city bus with his music. The
3: preacher's uh, wife, uh, Sister Annie, and she uh, taught me the basic cards like G, C, D, and and A, and what have you, F, and I, it all just came to me like it was just normal, you know. And that's that's when I started traveling. When we moved into Beaumont, the big city, you know, from Kuntz. I lived out in the country. We moved in there and. Uh, I would. Uh, I got to know everybody by taking that guitar with me on the the bus, the city bus lines, and uh, they got to where they knew me, and then didn't cost me nothing. I spend my days, you know, uh, going back to towards the back of the bus, get back there, and just start playing and singing, and everybody acting like they enjoyed. It. And I thought that was the greatest feeling in the world, you know. So uh, I'd go to the end of one bus line, get on another bus, go to the end of it. And finally, I'd get on the right one to get back home and it was just uh I just loved it so much I couldn't stay away from it.
1: Jones then moved from playing his music for people on the back of city buses to the top of the music charts. I started playing
3: the uh,
1: the taverns
3: and little little things like that just to get some just because I loved to do it. you know I didn't even know you you're supposed to get paid. I was still naive about all that. And uh, but then as I got a couple of years older, you know, you hear about these things, uh, the Grand Ole Opry going to Tennessee. And oh, man, wouldn't that be something, you know? And and of course, we'd uh, we uh, got to thinking about after I uh, got out of the Marine Corps, uh, they uh, got in touch with me on Starday Records and wanted to see me when I got home. And I had my uh... first recording session in 55-54 and uh in, uh... in a living room of a house uh... they had egg crates all over the wall to soundproof it a little but you you'll still hear the eighteen wheelers go by but anyhow you know when we got our chance to to come and do a song on the opera when i had finally got my baby why going and that was the biggest thrill, you know, just to see your name in the, in the charts, you know, and, and people talking about it. And oh my goodness. Uh, and, then when I, and then I found out you can get money for it.
1: You can get money for it. He left home at 16 and went to Jasper, Texas, where he sang and played on the KTXJ radio station with fellow musician Dalton Henderson. From there, he worked at the K.R.I.C. radio station. During one such afternoon show, Jones met his idol, Hank Williams.
3: When I was a kid, I first met Hank, you know, at a radio station where he had time to sit down and talk a few minutes with you. And he had to be the nicest guy I've ever ever met in my life. So down to earth, so honestly talking, you know, Mm Hardly playing, you Nothing know, was no put-on about him or all this stuff, you know, and he had a big hit out at the time called Wedding Bells. I was going to play guitar with him on, on this radio show. Well, he had his guitar, and he just started singing. I've got the invitation that you sent me, a wedding bell. And I'm standing on the other side of the mic. That's when the mic came out of the ceiling. And I'm standing there ready, ready to kick it off. Instead, he starts singing. Come to find out, he finished the song, and I haven't haven't hit a note.
1: I haven't hit a note. And by the way, you can tell he remembers this like it was yesterday. Can you imagine? 16 years old, and the legend, the king of country music, walks in and is singing next to you, Hank Williams. When we come back, more on the life of George Jones here on Our American Stories, his life, his death, And my goodness, when you hear some of the country stars and rock and roll stars memorializing and talking about the life of George Jones at his memorial service, it'll move you. More after these messages.
3: Now you might say to me, let's eat. I might say my name is Pete. Go ahead and steal a life that isn't real later. i might say saying,
1: Bill, because there ain't no money in this deal. The life of George Jones here on Our American Stories for the hour. Because, well, because. Jones served in the United States Marine Corps, was discharged in 1953, and married his first wife, Shirley Ann Corley, in 1954. His first record, No Money in This Deal appeared on Starday Records, beginning the singer's association with producer and mentor H.W. Pappy Daly. The song was actually cut in Starday's Records' co-founder, Jack Starn's Living Room. Let's take a listen.
4: So far you Hill. she's already got her bill.
3: Told me gonna find myself another cause there ain't no money in
0: this deal. I mean it, baby. There's no money in this deal.
1: Jones also worked at KTRM in Beaumont, Texas around this time, and he acquired the nickname Possum while working there. One of the DJs there started calling him quote George P. Williker Picklepus Possum Jones. Because, quote, he cut his hair short like a possum's belly, had a possum's nose and stupid eyes like a possum. (laughs) Tell me what you really think. And it stuck. It stuck. Jones' first hit came with Why Baby Why in 1955, peaked at four on the Billboard country charts that year. It was Jones' first single chart following several unsuccessful singles released during the prior year. Jones' frequent songwriting partner, Daryl Edwards, was inspired to write the words after hearing an argument between a couple at a gas station.
3: Tell me why, baby, why, baby, why, baby, why you make me cry, baby, cry, baby, cry, baby, cry. Lord, I can't ever love you till the day that I die. So tell me why, baby, why, baby, why, baby, why? Well, I've got a crow I want to pick with you. Just like last time when the feathers flew You're running wild, kicking up your heels or leaving me at home with a handful of bills Lord, I can't live without you, you know it's true But there's no living with it, so what'll I do? I'm going honky-tonk and get as tight as I can Then maybe by then you'll appreciate a good man
1: In 1959, Jones had his first major number one on the Billboard country chart with White Lightning, written by J.P. Richardson, a.k.a. the Big Bopper. And, of course, he went down with Buddy Holly on the day the music died. Let's take a listen to George Jones. Well, in North
3: Carolina, way back in the... went down then a and he it around in his 1997
1: autobiography I lived to tell it all Jones recalls arriving for that recording session for White Lightning under the influence of a great deal of alcohol and the track took approximately 80 takes to complete. <laughs> This was perhaps understandable since his lifelong friend, the Big Bopper, whose composition he was recording had been killed, as we just noted, during the preceding week in that tragic ending of so many great musicians' lives. To make matters worse, Buddy Killen, who played the upright bass on the recording, was reported as having severely blistered fingers from having to play his bass part 80 times. Killen not only threatened to quit the session, but he also threatened to physically harm Jones for the painful consequences Of his drinking. And by the way, we're going to get into more of that because there were painful consequences. But Jones ultimately got sober. And in his memorial service, my goodness, you hear so much storytelling about that. While touring, Jones met and played shows with Elvis Presley and Johnny Cash. While just an acquaintance of Elvis, Jones would remain a lifelong friend of Johnny. Here's Johnny Cash and George Jones with I've Got Stripes.
0: On a Monday I was arrested On a Tuesday they locked me in the jail On a Wednesday my trial was attested On a Thursday they said guilty And the judge's gavel fell I got stripes, stripes around my shoulders I got chains, chains around my feet I got stripes Stripes around my shoulders And, and them chains, chains, them chains they about to drag us
3: down On a Monday, I got my striped bridges, and on
1: a With Presley's explosion in popularity, though, pressure was put on Jones, well, to sound more like Elvis. His heart was never in it, and he quickly regretted the decision. Rocket was the rockability single by George Jones released under the pseudonym thumper jones not wanting to use his real name and jeopardizing his reputation as a country artist let's take a listen And by the way, this is a theme we hear over and over again in our hour-long conversation with David Cobb. Cobb talked about a young singer-songwriter, not so young, Chris Stapleton, who did not like the way the labels were pushing around into various corners trying to be this flavor of the month or that flavor of the month. And all that David Cobb has done with his wonderful singer-songwriters is let them be who they are. We heard the same thing about Johnny Cash when Cash met a producer named Rick Rubin and he got to just do Johnny Cash songs again. So these artists, they're vulnerable to this kind of stuff, and we love telling these stories here on Our American Stories. Jones signed with United Artists in 1962, and he immediately scored one of the biggest hits of his career, She Thinks I Still Care. His voice had grown noticeably deeper during this period, and he began cultivating a singing style that became uniquely his own. It remained on the Billboard survey for 23 weeks, six of them at number one.
4: Just because I
7: ask a friend about her
3: Just because I spoke her name somewhere Just because I rang her number by
4: mistake today She
1: thinks I For the rest of the 1960s, Jones would score only one number one, 1967's Walk Through This World With Me, but he practically owned the country music charts throughout the decade. Jones' binge drinking and use of amphetamines on the road, though, caught up with him in 1967, and he had to be admitted into a neurological hospital to seek treatment for his drinking. Jones would go to extreme lengths for a drink if the thirst was on him. Here's George Jones with his friend Johnny Cash talking about their heavy use of drugs.
3: I drank to start with quite a bit more, a lot more than I should have. And, and uh, then when it seemed like everything in the world uh, was down on me, uh, that's when I didn't, I just didn't care anymore. We
0: drank together. We took pills together. We got in trouble together. We suffered a lot of pain together, but we had some what we thought were some great times together.
3: And then when I just when I was at that point, I knew there was no out. I just there was no good thinking at all. I, there was no way out of it, so I just didn't care no more. So I went to the other stuff. I went to the heart, the the, the drugs, and and uh, then I really got in bad shape. I got down to about 105 pounds. They said. And I looked terrible, I looked awful, I sung terrible, and uh, I was terrible. I don't think I really was beginning to see it was out of control because I was so out of control I couldn't see anything.
1: No, indeed, and when we come back, we're going to continue with the story of George Jones. And by the way, we heard similar stories when we did the Kurt Cobain Hour. Uh, It was just tragic, the road, the life, the artist's life. There's just something about it that draws these guys, these girls... To drugs, Janis Joplin, too, and so many greats. And it's a tough life, all the glamour, all the fame, but in the end, a lot of loneliness and a lot of sadness. When we come back for the hour, the life of George Jones, celebrating it, and we're going to take you to his memorial, and you can't believe who you'll hear from and what you'll hear here on Our American Stories. our american stories and i really i don't know how i can interrupt that song that's chris stapleton with justin timberlake and chris's remarkable wife an incredible accompanist in her own right and singer at the cma awards in 2015 singing i believe their favorite george jones song together a celebration of george jones right here for the hour and the most notorious jones drinking story involves the country music legend and a John Deere lawnmower. But what a lot of folks don't know is that George Jones chose this slow-moving mode of transportation to procure alcohol more than once. The first and most well-documented lawnmower incident was the late 1960s. George was living eight miles outside of Beaumont, Texas, with his then-wife, Shirley Ann Corley. Jones, who was born in Saratoga, Texas, just west and north of Beaumont, had already experienced a few number-one country hits by that time, with his songs, White Lightning, Tender Years, And She Still Thinks I Care?, George's success fueled his wayward ways with alcohol, and he was drinking so bad, his wife Shirley resorted to hiding all the keys to the vehicles before she would leave so George wouldn't drive to the nearest liquor store in Beaumont. Boy, that's when things are bad. But that didn't stop him. After tearing the house apart looking for a set of keys, George looked out the window to see a riding lawnmower sitting on the property under the glow of a security light. The incident was later memorialized as part of country music lore in numerous songs and videos, including Jones' own honky-tonk song in 1996. Looks like I'm going to
0: need some backup over here. Awesome's at it again.
3: Backup, set backup quick! I saw those blue lights flashing Over my left shoulder He walked right up and said Get off that riding moor I said, sir, let me explain Before you put me in the tank She took my keys away And now she won't drive me to drink
5: I need a honky-tonk song, a cold, cold beer,
3: a hardwood floor, a smoky atmosphere, a pocket full of change to last me all night long.
1: George Jones eventually married artist Tammy Wynette after their tours were booked by the same agency and their paths crossed. By 1980, Jones had not had a number one single in six years. Many critics began to write him off. However, the singer stunned the music industry in April when He Stopped Loving Her Today was released and shot to number one on the country charts, remaining there... For 18 weeks, here's George Jones talking about this time in his life and how this song came to be.
3: This was uh, right when I was at my lowest point and I was having all my problems. And I went in the uh, rehab and I got straightened out. And as soon as I got out, I, I'd been carrying that song almost a year. And as soon as I got out and got straight enough, we went in to the studio with Billy Sherrill and recorded he stopped loving her today and i said it still ain't a hit because it's too sad it's too morbid they're not going to buy this record but i love it because it's been on my mind for almost a year so let's do it bobby braddock and and uh, curly putnam and bobby braddock is (laughs) you wouldn't think a song like this would come from him because he's a funny character (laughs) but I, i love his writing and you wouldn't think a ballad like this is that pretty would come from somebody like Bobby Braddock. I told Billy, I said, please uh, talk to Bobby and Curly and, and see if they will write another verse, and, uh, which came, which did come, uh, and as a recitation, the part where I, at the end of the song, where I do the verse and I, I do the recitation. Yeah. And Millie does the high, pretty, uh, <laughs> soprano voice, whatever it is. <laughs> and, uh, but that just made the song, I said, she's got to come back. She's got to come back either now or some way in his life or before he dies or either at his funeral. And this is exactly what they wrote. And when I came out of rehab and got my life straightened out, this was the first record that I cut.
1: This song became the single of the year for George. It became the song of the year in 1980. It also became the Country Music Association song of the year in both 1980 and 1981. And by the way, this song has become so synonymous with Jones that few singers dare to cover it. Here's why.
3: He said, I'll love you till I die She told him you'll forget in time As the years went slowly by She still preyed upon his mind by his bed It in 1962 He had underlined in red Every single I love you I went to see him
4: just today Oh, but I didn't see no tears all dressed up to go away.
3: First time I'd seen him smiling you. He stopped loving her today. It place to loving heart
1: today When we come back we're going to take you to George Jones's memorial service in 2013. You're going to hear from everybody. You're going to hear from Alan Jackson, Kenny Chesney, Kid Rock Ronnie Millsap, Randy Travis and Vince Gill and Patty Loveless. My goodness, whether you hear what they do. It's just so beautiful. They all share their memories, and you'll hear a few of them sing and pay tribute to the man they loved and admired. And by the way, the fact that George Jones was able to clean up his act and stay sober is a key part of what you'll hear coming up. The life of George Jones celebrated here on Our American Stories. He stopped loving
7: her today.
5: I've had choices
3: since the day that I was born There were voices that told me right from wrong If I had listened, no, I wouldn't be here today Living and dying with the choices I've made
1: And that's George Jones in 1999, a great cover song. Jones, well, he was taking responsibility for his choices in that song, covering it. He did it in his life, too, and he got sober. And in 2013, he was scheduled to perform his final concert at the Bridgestone Arena in Nashville, Tennessee. On April 18, 2013, however... Jones was taken to Vanderbilt University Medical Center for a slight fever and irregular blood pressure. Following six days in intensive care, he died on April 26, 2013. He was 81 years old. On May 2nd, there was a memorial service. And my goodness, so many people came out. Let's take a listen to Vince Gill and Patty Loveless. Here, they share their memories of their friend.
2: My favorite memory of all is, for some reason, George thought I liked ravioli, and um, (laughs) cases and cases of the worst ravioli you ever ate in your life wound up on my bus. I still have some if you'd like uh, some historical ravioli from Brother George. But uh, Patty, would you like to say anything? I'm sure you would. Absolutely.
7: You want to be over here or over there? Say something. Oh, for me to say something. Uh, I think you've
10: said it all (laughs) well when Keith was talking about if my heart had windows when I recorded that song I remembered that um, that they had played it on WSM and uh, they got a a call from some lady that had called in and uh, you know said well that was really nice what she did but she can't sing it like George Jones and you know what I totally agree
1: Vince Gill and Patty Lovelace went on to sing Go Rest High on That Mountain to say goodbye to their friend George Jones. You can hear Vince's voice break in this live tribute as he's overcome with emotion, tears pouring down his and Patty Lovelace's face. There wasn't a dry eye in the house.
7: trouble and only you could know the pain you were afraid to face the devil you were no stranger
1: And by the way, you rarely hear in your life Vince Gill miss, and he missed because he just couldn't do it. He was tearing up. You ever get a chance, go to the video. You'll cry watching it. Kid Rock got up next, of all people. It turns out he wrote with George Jones, and he was a friend of George's. And he shares a story about one of his first interactions with Jones early in their friendship. It was
5: probably ten years ago or so. First time I came into contact with George. And he'd asked me to write a song for him. And uh, I asked if I could pick his brain a little bit, get him on the phone. I called Nancy, who, by the way, at the time I thought was his secretary. <laughs> I didn't know any better, um, so she, I talked with her for a while about it. She put me on the on the phone with him, and I said, uh, "I said I'd just like to pick your brain and see where you're at in life and what you're thinking to help me write something for you." And he said, "I'll never forget." He said, um, "I just wonder now that I've got my life together and so in love with Nancy, how Tammy and all these people would view me from heaven looking down now." And I thought. I just blurted out, oh, we need to write the ultimate drinking song. And he goes, no, 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 no. He said, I'm done singing those drinking songs. And he pointedly said it. And I tried to explain, you know, no, I'm talking about closure, this, that, and the other. And um, we spoke a bit more, and I hung up, and I I wrote a song. I I wrote a verse and a chorus for a song that I never got to uh, give to him. And I'll just give you a little bit of it. It was called, uh, and the chorus said, I may be a little slower, but I'm still 12 steps ahead of you. I spent a lifetime getting sober, and I wondered if you knew that now I'm spending my days without the bottle, high in love with you.
1: And And you get to know why Kid Rock is Kid Rock. He can write. Country star Brad Paisley was up next to memorialize his friend with some heartfelt memories before he performed Me and
10: Jesus. There are a lot of TV networks covering this today, and uh, there's probably a lot of young people watching, and you, you must be thinking, boy, they're making a ruckus about this guy. I would encourage you, if you don't know about him, to go find him now, to go buy his records and... and see what all this ruckus is about Uh, because it's worth it. Um, George loved young people. And uh, going all the way back to seeing Randy Travis up here when he was a young new artist and and you guys all but adopted and fed him. And then Vince Gill and Alan Jackson and Kenny Chesney and later me, when I moved to town, uh, a completely lost, single, young, aimless guy that wanted to be a singer. You guys, I was very, very lucky to be one of the people that you decided you were going to adopt. And um, I remember I was living in a condo, a small condo in Brentwood and got my first horse, which is so stupid. Um, And George said, well, son, you know, uh, just keep him out here at the farm. Some of the greatest memories of my life are going out there and working with that horse and seeing the golden voice in a golf cart come driving up and, and just want to talk. And, uh, you know... I, I'm lucky enough that I met George when he had he had gotten right with, with the Lord and, with, and had beat the demons and had and had found Nancy and God and you know uh, what it must be like to, to be the maker that made him meeting him and I just have to say that have to say that he is an inspirational story to all of us if that man can live to 81 years old all of us can can fight against the things that that bring us down
1: and next up was George Jones's pastor Mike Wilson who shared his favorite George Jones story my favorite story was when we were truly introduced to George My son, my oldest son, Dylan, has the opportunity to go to school with one of George's granddaughters. And Dylan came home one day and he said, Dad, Brianne's grandpa was at school signing autographs. I said, well, great. Who's Brianne's grandpa? I don't know. Some old guy. (laughs) And then he said he had his wife with him. I don't know. Who is it? I don't know. He went to his backpack and pulled out this ratty piece of paper. And I remember looking at it, and my jaw hit the floor, and I said, Dylan, that is George Jones and Miss Nancy. And he looked at me, and this is how George will forever be known in our house. No, Dad, that's Brian's grandpa. And the whole night was just laughter, a lot of tears, and all celebrating the great George Jones And for the hour, that's what we've been doing here on Our American Stories. His story, the folks who remember him, their story about George Jones, their stories about George Jones. And what came up again and again was his version of Amazing Grace. Mike Huckabee talked about it, Brad Paisley talked about it, Vince Gill talked about it. And so we figured we'd close the hour because the man had come to God late in his life or come back. And so let's take a listen to what is a perfect A perfect rendition of this great, great gospel song. This is Our American Stories, The Life of George Jones, celebrated by Nashville and Rock and Roll Music's best.
3: Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved.